Welcome to Out of Rich Darkness. I'm Camille Savage-Kroll. And I'm Elena Chia. We're both professors at the University of Music in Freiburg, Germany. In this podcast, we reimagine the ways in which we learn and make music and explore how it can be part of a holistic, healthy way of being in the world. invited out-of-the-box thinkers and pioneers in the music world to speak to us about their lives and creative processes. In addition to appearances on the podcast this season, our guests participated as coaches in a new course that we designed and taught together at the Hochschule für Musik Freiburg. composer, and visionary educator who takes great joy in facilitating creativity and participation. She has won international recognition as a leading composer, creative director, performer, and educational program consultant. She was also a founding member of the Ensemble Modern Frankfurt. As a composer, she has been commissioned by the Berliner Staatsoper, the Donaueschinger Musiktage, the South Bank Center of London, the Experimental Electronic Studio of Freiburg, Concerto Köln, and Musica Viva of Munich, to name just a few of many. From 2005 to 2012, Kathy Milliken was director of the education program of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. Participatory compositional projects in recent years have taken her to South Africa, Japan, and Oman. She is part of the creative team for the Munich Biennale for Music Theatre, and serves as honorary member of advisory boards for the German Music Council and the Goethe Institute. Her collaborative composition Stadtlied was premiered in the Elbphilharmonie in Hamburg in 2019. And I personally last saw you, Kathy, in October 2020 at the Radialsystem in Berlin, um, where your work Ode for All was premiered as part of a celebration of Beethoven's 250th birthday. And this was originally supposed to be work for six female choirs from across Eastern Europe, all composing and improvising their own odes to joy. And in the end, because of the pandemic, it became a video installation featuring the soloists of these choirs, right? Which I found very, very moving. And I wanted to start with that actually, because when I last saw you at that performance, we talked a little bit about how you were responding to the times, and this was October 2020, so we were about half a year into the pandemic, and you mentioned something about not wanting to listen to certain kinds of music. <laughs> so can you say a little bit about how the pandemic may have also affected um, how and what you compose, if at all? Um, firstly, thank you very much for that lovely introduction. and. Hello, everybody. I'm delighted to meet everyone in this way. And um, I think it's been, you know, you sort of ask me one week and I'll say this, and the next week I'll say something else, you know. And uh, one week I'll, I'll think, oh, I, I just need to be quiet. I don't want any music. And the next week I'll be jumping around in the kitchen. There's a great song on the radio. So I don't know. I found it um, in a way 
not so difficult all of this lockdown I quite like being by myself but on the other hand um, I think it's um, you know for for people who do quite like it the danger is is that you um, you know stop looking for that which makes life you know which is you know the the that contact with people that can can be so challenging but so wonderful and you know on the other hand um, you know for someone who really is always out there it can be you know sort of to have days where you're just with yourself it can be confronting but very good so that's what I mean it sort of seems to be very much in flux for me anyway a sort of flow from one side to the other mm. so the pandemic didn't necessarily affect the way you approach music as such it's just that it was part of the this flux that's always going on I I did find that um I was sort of avoiding certain um certain writings that uh, you know, entered into, into a sphere of discomfort or, you know, something sort of too sad or something too raucous and loud. And yet, on the other hand, you know, that that very alpha energy you sort of have to have sometimes. So, you know, I was aware that, um, you know, I was tending towards the sort of, you know, I was meditating a lot and tending towards that sort of meditative thing. And certainly Ode uh, to Joy was a very meditative, beauteous thing. I mean, these choirs just sent them as beautiful uh, recordings and um, and you know on the other hand of course Berlin is a city that sort of brings you back to the nitty-gritty of things and and it I did become aware that it could be a danger that I was sort of becoming too I wouldn't say complacent but just you know unchallenging maybe or unchallenged so yeah I sort of giving myself kicks saying come on Catherine got to do a bit more than that but can't leave it like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting could you tell us a little bit about this project and how you worked with these choirs because um i found it so beautiful and so um original how they were you helped them bring their particular unique vocal beauty and their mm -hmm. traditions to this project Yes, well, um, I was very aware when we started this project, it started as the germ of an idea, and the Goethe Institute in um, Istanbul was just amazing in sort of sourcing out in the neighbouring countries what sort of choirs, and we talked about it, and, you know, we were looking for female choirs, um, and we were looking for choirs that did, you know, had quite a breadth of repertoire, you know, not just Bach. Um, but, you know, really choirs that also had some sort of traditional music from, you know, their own country. And so when we found the six choirs, you know, I was really interested to see um, and hear what that would mean because, you know, some of the YouTube things and material that they'd sent, they were sort of more um, Western music, uh, you know, so I, I didn't really know what I was going to expect. Anyway, when I arrived, the first um, place I arrived in was Sarajevo and the choir... Um, started to sing and I was just completely bowled over because they sang with that you know very quite nasal like we know from the Bulgarian choirs uh, with a type of chest voice you know really pushed up hard against the palate but you know in fifths and just so mercilessly wonderful and 
loud and it was a small room and here were these and here were these six women just standing there and then venting this extraordinary song and then it went in the next one they went into was um, a song that was sort of flute-like improvisations that sounded quite eastern and it was a Jewish song and of course in Sarajevo on one corner there's a synagogue on another corner there's a moshee on another corner there's a um, you know, an Orthodox church. So, you know, it was that was just a, such an amazing start to the project. So, as it went on, um, we were able to eventually, you know, after my meeting each choir, and we had workshops creating their own song. We met in Istanbul, and that was, of course, wonderful. There is a lovely YouTube uh, video about that greeting. I think it's about four minutes long, and um, yeah, and that was really nice to do. So. Um, so that was interesting because, of course, they did all have different traditions. From Romania, they were actually much more Western and uh, somehow Russian-influenced. And, um, as I said, in uh, Croatia and, and Serbia, um, you know, it was much more Eastern-sounding. So uh, what was wonderful was that, you know, some of them didn't read music because they were improvisers. Others read music but didn't improvise. And so, you know, for all this to sort of meet together and all of them to still learn each other's songs so that the improvisers were just so fast with their oral appreciation of what to do. And, you know, the readers were sort of making valiant efforts at singing chest voice uh, rather than more Western. So it was just a very, very lovely project. Um, very sad then that we couldn't do the whole project live. Yeah, it sounds mm -hmm. so, so rich this um this type of coming together like you describe it and and this is also something that i've noticed as i've followed your work also over the years not just your your compositions but also the work that you've done in in educational outreach um that your work no matter which hat you're wearing um a lot of times has an aspect of bringing people very different people together and um, and creating new synergies um, that are are audible for listeners, um, which is just a, a delight. Um, but it's it's also I'm sure transformative for the people who are part of these projects. And I'm wondering how did you how did you start to um, to have an emphasis on this type of work? Is it something that happened naturally for you, or was there something in your background that that uh, took your curiosities in this direction? Um, that's an interesting question. How did it all start off? Well, I was, I really was lucky because um, after I'd finished studying the oboe, I studied Dalcro's teaching methods. So I was, you know, I was interested in teaching methods and I was very interested in movement and music and theatre and I was just interested in the way all those things went together. And I sort of became interested too in how different, disciplines also informed musical practice and and how you know sometimes in the um sort of education or the or the second tertiary education uh situation that you know sometimes these other disciplines were sort of paired away and I thought that was a shame you know to to keep our music musical students sort of locked away I don't think it's like that now particularly much more I think the disciplines are really sort of no, no. it depends <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so uh, you know, I found that ultimately, um, you know, just really 
Fascinating. Then I had great fortune. I was invited to go along to the um, program of the English National Youth Orchestra, run by these wonderful English um, music educator, composer, teacher, artists type people that we hadn't really seen here, you know, because there's such an emphasis on on making it into an orchestra. But in you know in Britain there there weren't that. I'd say there were fewer orchestras per head. So you know the choice wasn't so great. So people were sort of being much more. Um, you know, diversifying much earlier, and and in this work, you know, I was just amazed. I, you know, because I'd I'd always loved the the I was in ensemble Adorn by that stage, so I was just really interested in compositional process in any projects we did that were a little bit more open, you know, with graph work or um, you know where we could actually have a say in what was happening, you know, and discuss it. And I got really into discussing things and. Um, and I just loved, you know, being with the students and doing that sort of work. And very quickly, you know, when you're when you're with a group of students, you see what sort of um, what sort of things, you know, light uh, the room, and what sort of things don't. And generally, you know, if, if you're talking too much, so which I'm where I'm talking a lot now. I'm really sorry. That's why we have you here. <laughs> Fantastic. But um, but also um, then. You know, I started to do more of this work and, um, you know, the Ensemble Adern had a response project as well and I was in schools. It was quite a challenge going into a school, you know, as, um, you know, not having been taught as a teacher. But also, you know, reflecting about your practice really does help. And I was really interested and really um, needing to find ways of, of um, talking with people and, and having that room lit up and and you know I found obviously it was the moments where people were were doing things themselves and where I was not in the in you know the main line of fire and so you know I sort of I felt you know honing my practice had to do with um, finding out how to intervene if necessary but not necessarily or how to be a catalyst you know yeah that's amazing you talk um, in in this book, which I have recommended to students many times over the years, just because there's so many great examples of, of projects. But in this uh, book, Zukunft et Befil, where uh, you describe educational outreach projects of the Berliner Philharmonikon, you, you say, and this is in German, so I'm going to paraphrase, but you said um, that the design of a project itself should be like a composition if you um, if you really want the people who are participating to be free in their thoughts and in their feelings um, and to have the kind of trust that you need to really um, make important mm. and and um, and special transformative things happen, um, which I thought was so was so wonderful thinking about designing a project the same way that you would a composition and maybe you could say a few more words about that because not sure. everyone is a composer yeah sure. um, what does that mean for you well it actually you know to put it in in other terms it's it would be like you know say you're going to put on a party and or make a dinner and it's just the same you know you think about who's coming who are they and what do they like doing and so you know when you're when you've got a project coming up it is really important to sort of find out 
who they are if you can you know if you can talk to the Veranstalter or talk to the people to the producers or you know if, if you're organizing yourself talk to the people themselves and say just you know what do you like doing why are you doing this all that sort of thing and you know the more you know about people and the more you know why they're coming to do this the more you can actually sort of tailor make it in in what sort of um tasks your your or what sort of theme or project or how open to make it or how much do you actually need to um have a structure i mean actually between you and me i always have a structure and then if i if i need to throw it away i will but um you know it is just so important to to welcome people and have exactly the right time that you need for something because time in these projects is of an essence and if people if you're too short with the time and you don't really feel that you know people don't have that aha moment where it just sort of all comes together magically and everyone goes ah oh, right got it you know if if you don't have time you won't get there and uh, it'll feel hectic and um and people will not feel transported out of their everyday which is a shame because that's what music is really there for is to is to be that other you know and um so I think that's what I mean by the design is that, and also you know the space you're in, just um, you know thinking if you're going to have smaller units of creativity to have little breakout spots to know where they can be, so that you've got the key ready and you can give it to people. So you've spied whirlers, even if it's in the hallway, but that you know, you know, so that and that that you have you think, oh, am I going to give morning tea or not? And just all that sort of thing, you know, that just makes people feel welcome, as you would in a party. Same rules. Yeah, that's really great. Creature comforts and good organization and really thinking about who, who is invited to the party and yeah. not just about how great you want the party to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it also, um, people take part in these um, projects best when they really know what it's about so you you send out the information letter about you know depending on it if it's with teachers you know just what your aims are you teaching aims or educator aims but if it's sort of more of a just a, a class of people who want to you know to make a song for example you know then you you write out a little teaser text and you send it to them and and they need to know if they bring their instruments or not you know there are all these sorts of questions and you've got to be ready to you know, know exactly how you envisage it. And to do that also, to make the design, you just got to really, you know, shut your eyes and think, what would be the perfect situation? What do people need? What do I need to tell them? You know, so it's all about communication as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. How long did it take you before you felt like you were co really confident creating that kind of composition, i.e., structure for people to learn in <clears throat> because well, it seems to me that would take some trial and error yeah um i think the interesting thing is that wherever you're at um you know in whether you're just sort of starting to give these types of workshops to do, do this work or if you're sort of bit down the track um each set of people that you work with is different each uh goal is different um it's just never the same you know what what's going on in the world is never the same you know suddenly there's a trump you know and and suddenly there are lots to talk about um and uh and you know it's just never the same so i always find it quite um
quite exciting, you know, and it's just the same way as when you're performing. No audience is the same. There's just this magic about people coming in a room together and, um, you know, finding their spot in the room, whether it's, you know, I'm a participator, I'm up the front and I'm going to be the one, you know, or the people who sit more at the back who are listening no less than the ones down the front, you know. And it's just, you just, you never know really how it's going to be. And um, even, you know, your, your time planning of, you know, how long it might take to do something. Certainly, you, you, with experience, you sort of know how long you need to take a little break after and all that sort of thing. But, you know, it always ends up a bit different and you've got to be ready just to react immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The improvisation is of the essence as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I was just talking to students yesterday about the fact that we speak so often in um, classical music settings about the audience <laughs> and just kind of bursting that bubble. There is no the audience. <laughs> it doesn't exist. And and beyond that, um, it's always a collective of individuals and um no matter what you are offering at any given time, it is going to be received as differently as there are people in the room. Mm. And, um, and just remembering that, that, um, that everyone is, is listening with, uh, with different ears of experience and that that can be something that is, um, that is valuable if you take the pressure off yourself to be just one thing. If you have an idea of, of how it should be for your audience, um, that's almost so abstract that it can give, it can put so much pressure on, on performers. And, mm. um, and I've been thinking a lot recently about the idea of getting away maybe from what has been a traditional idea of Musikvermittlung, the German word, um, or, or educational outreach, which a, a lot of times kind of has this setup of um, there are performers and there is audience. And, um, and something that I appreciate a lot in your work also is exactly this, which kind of breaks down those two, um, those two groups. Mm. And, um, and what I feel like is is maybe even the future of of educational outreaches instead of audience and performer is that we create communities um that have to be cultivated they're more than just events but um but i'm wondering how how do you how do you think about um not necessarily in education projects but when you are um working with with performers um, maybe people also who don't, who aren't in the role of, of performer very often. Um, how do you help them be ready for um, concert situations? Is there, is there anything that, that, you, um, that you give people to, to encourage themselves to, to be open in those settings? Okay, so we're not talking about sort of creative work, we're talking about interpreters, interpretive musicians and concerts and things like that. I mean, that's a whole, um, that's a whole other ball game. And I think, um, you know, we all have our ways of doing that. Do I feel that the other, you know, my other selves feed in? I think, um, I think in the moment of performance, it is like going into a workshop, leading a workshop, you know, that you 
collect and you check your breathing and you know that you really make sure you're just not wandering off the street in Van Diemen's land but that you know you really you really sort of know what you're doing and why you're doing it of course you know retaining the joy in situations even if the concert's going to be a hard concert um I bought a painting a little etching the other day and it's sort of helping me at the moment because I've got quite a difficult task to carry out at the moment and um the painting said it was a picture of a witch the back of a witch and you could see she had a little broom do I have it here no she could have a little broom and underneath it's yeah I'm underneath I put it on my phone I took a photo and underneath it says when in doubt sweep faster and um there is something about you know giving all your joy into your preparation for a concert which means you know no cutting corners really uh I mean you just Put all you're all into it, and on the other hand, if there are reasons why, then you play to the top of your ceiling, guiltless, and do the you know total best you can with you know. And the thing too, I listened to Barbara Hannigan in a in a um, interview, and they said, you know, what what happens when you make a mistake? She said, oh, you just leave it behind. And it was just so she was so <laughs> adamant about this, you know. She could just you could just see, oh, you just leave it behind. I can see the gesture and, in my mind. Yes, <laughs> and. Um, and, you know, all of that, it's just, it's really having the confidence to be who you are in that moment. And if there is a there is a blemish that happened, you know you did your best as well as you could for that moment. And if, you know, you think you could have done more, well, that's between you and yourself. And, um, and on the other hand, you know, it is, you know, training for that and the breathing and all that sort of thing. So um, I do think that it's very interesting, but I do... I do think that improvising helps with concerts. I really do. I would really encourage all performers to, whether it's just in your own room and you're just playing melodies to yourself and you just, and you just, um, you know, and what does a good improviser do? I, I um, had a lovely experience just um, recently where I um, needed some friends to record some music for a dance piece. And the cellist I didn't know, but I was in Brisbane and someone recommended her. I said, look, you've got to play this anthem, but it's just a little freely. And it was a, it was a strange anthem. It was a made-up anthem. And, you know, it had that sort of sense of decorum that an anthem does. And with her, you know, she'd sort of hover on one of the notes where it would sort of be a tension point. And she'd wait, and then she'd sort of release it with a little bit of vibrato, and then do a little sort of eastern um, sort of uh, ornamentation, and then she'd continue on. And it was sort of like, you know, just watching this bird hover up and down, or listening to it. Very simple what she did, but oh, so beautiful. And, you know, to have that um, practice at... Letting your fingers, your lips, your breath, find something that is within you that is not written down. It's just such a you know joyous thing and very important, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you mm-hmm. you say that, and I see that in all of your work as well. Uh, and it kind of seems to me like the work that you do with young people and with these um, unusual communities of, of non-professional musicians it seems to me like a space where you're allowing people to 
explore and experiment and and find out what they can create together and to me improvisation um even if you're in your own room it's kind of like or maybe especially if you're own, in your own room it seems like like that's what you have to do for yourself you have to create this space where you can see oh well what am i actually um what is it that's coming out of me when i don't have music in front of me and um i think oh, so one of our missions um camille and mine in this seminar and in I think our teaching in general is to um, is to kind of reform the way things are done in institutions, which is not easy because Small little right task. now, <laughs> <laughs> right now the status quo is kind of completely upside down from what you're talking about and from your work. So rather than starting from the individual and seeing what is in that person and what does that person want to express and then what does the group want to express that is made up of these individuals um it starts with this canon of music that we have which is you know a very specific canon and and then the demands that this canon be performed a very specific way and then and that kind of attainment of perfection is what's really really valued in of our institutions in germany right now so um what do you think about well, the possibilities we have? Well, I, 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 you know, would love it if um, Conservatoria did really open up their doors and and really show young musicians, you know, other possibilities. Um, on the other hand, you know, I wouldn't want to interfere with their dreams. I think that you know, if you have the dream of being in an orchestra or being a a soloist that's that's what you do um, but I think now more than ever even um, soloists and orchestral musicians um, have a very singular and clear duty to connect with their social selves and with their you know their inside reasons for doing music because it's such um, a luxury to have these small teaching groups even one-on-one -on -one, you know I mean and that it's like you've got a mentor for you know your own personal mentor for sort of you know three four years and you know no other faculty really has that it's quite extraordinary and you know so there's something about that that you know, it needs to be given back, and I think I think that um, you know the the sort of young the group the younger um, musicians are also forming groups, and they're aware of um, you know how can I actually be effective in my own community, not only on stage, you know, in the large concerts I do during the year, but what else can I do? In what other circumstances can I um, perform in and play? Whether it's just we're going to do suitcase concerts in old people's homes for a little while and just try out a repertoire and how beautiful is that and I do think there is a, a sort of social responsibility definitely and I think that is also um, quite forming because it takes you out of your shell and it has you meeting people you'd never ordinarily meet you know and it's just surprising how we sort of stick to our little track of um, within our own 
um, religious, spiritual, educative, whatever communities, um, gender communities, I don't know. Um, but we sort of tend to stay. And in fact, what feeds music is a knowledge of um, knowledge of the world. And what feeds your persona as a musician is, you know, the largesse that you meet life with and meet people in this world. So, so I, you know, I, I do think there is something about um, enriching your own character, enriching your life and that of others that is also part of the, the whole course. And so, okay, how does an institution help young musicians, you know, to sort of have this specific, specific training so that they can go into an orchestra or be that soloist, but also be be that soloist who's giving and uh, curious about the world. You mentioned mentors. Um, I'm wondering <coughs> if, if there were people who in your life who played key roles in, in supporting you as you were a developing musician and composer and um, and also thinking into the now and into the future, what kind of support do you think composers, female composers, but young musicians also need to develop um, their potential? Well, you know, I think music music is a funny business, you know, and it's and it can be quite hurtful and quite difficult. And I just think it's really important to have those good friends, you know, that you always know, you know, if you sort of do a concert and don't feel so great about it, you can go and have a whinge, you know, and <coughs> and then pick yourself up and say, okay, I'm going to do better next time. And I think, you know, because ultimately um, the focus is not on you, it's actually on, you know, playing for others. So I think it's important to have that just peer group, a lot of um, people around you, Very, that's very very big um it's also important to i think to choose the people around you that not only where it feels comfortable but who also do challenge you um i think it's also really important in music because there are quite a few teachers who are not really um totally together human beings so that you know if it's a teacher being hurtful you've got to know when it's it's okay to stop it's okay to say stop i'm going to go out of the room now and i'll come back later you know? that takes so much courage mm. and i think it's yeah i think that's important to actually notice in life when you know things are not challenging anymore they are simply destructive and then it's really okay to say no right that is so and, important for our students to hear. Yeah. So, so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, then um, I think also being um, a woman composer, I it's just different, a little bit different in my generation because um, I think we, we didn't really allow ourselves to be women. We were just had to be, you know, up and sort of, smart as we could be and, and, and you know, you were trying not to show difference. And, you know, that's sort of a little bit of a, you know, 
it's like trying to do the splits, you know. And um, and I think actually now um, there are more women, but I'm continuously surprised at how many programs still get done, and there's not one composer. And I, shocking. Um, yes, and um, you know, whenever I'm in a jury and and you're asked to sort of evaluate the artistic um, quality of this project. If there's not some sort of semblance of diversity in it, if it's, you know, really six male composers, then I say, this is not artistically sound. You know, I think there's a prejudice here that is perhaps unintentional, but you have to notice it. So, you know, I don't throw people out for doing that, but I make it a talking point in the jury because I think that even juries sometimes are not aware of it. And I even ask my male friends, oh, name me six composers from this country, that country, that country. And it's always men. And then, and it's happened to me, even I've done that. And it's just extraordinary how much the, you know, the, the male image dominates music. And it's music that it's just, in no other discipline is it this bad. And, you know, we just have to get our photos out there and, um, you know, get ourselves out there and be seen and speak up and be as direct as you can about what you'd like, you know. Um, and that's also learning the speak of, uh, you know, not taking too long to say something, but, you know, um, getting things across in a way that is... That is uh, understandable for a large group of people like an orchestra and they're normally men so you've got to make it you know and you've got to be aware what it is about uh speaking to groups of people that are largely men that um you might need to to approach or or look at and having said that you know goodness me you know men women we've just got to find our own way our own personalities because at the end of the day you know it's not easy for men either they have to they have to find them their burgeoning selves as much as as uh, women do. So, I, you know, I would also th say we're not going to get too angry about it. It is as it is right now. And whenever we get those little chances to make a comment, say something, have another suggestion, we just do it. Right. Well, and I think it's it's beautiful if we're not talking about shaming anyone or anyone um, being put down, but that we, we can, this can be an issue that men and women can work together to improve. Yeah. And that, that's really yeah. what it's about. It's not about punishing yeah. men or, or, um, having them have any less opportunities. That's, that's not it at all. Um, but that, that together we can, we can shape a, um, a better future and, and one that reflects who we are as a society. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, having said that, I still will put out a warning thing because um, I listened to a show on Deutschlandfunk the other day and they were talking about women composers, but they only had men. They only had men on the program. There was one woman and there were like four or five men. I thought that is that is sort of so bizarre. And so they asked someone, they asked one of the men, so, you know, how do you go about curating your programs? And he said, well, I always go for the quality and they said to him, but your programs are mostly men. And he said, yes, um, I, I don't consciously go for a male program, but I will go for quality. And that is, that is what is always said. And it's really hard because which quality 
Which quality are we speaking about? Yep, this is an argument that I have made many times. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What do the um, did, are we allowed to know what this are? Do we have any questions? Do you think we should I have some questions? Yeah, there are no questions in the chat yet, but please, I'm sure that uh, that there are some sparks flying. And again, um, feel free to ask your question in German, and we will just translate it. Um, it's not a problem. So. Yeah, let's let's hear from some students. We've uh, had the experience that in the last five minutes, a lot of questions come. So, <laughs> yeah, but feel yes. feel free to so jump don't, in. There. Don't hold your tongues or your fingers. Uh, well, before we get the question, there's just one other thing I wanted to talk about, and that is um, doing these, you know, creative projects and working with amateurs. There's always that moment where you think to yourself, "Oh, this is great. Everyone's so creative, but it really sounds awful." Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so um, that's just such an interesting moment because uh, um, if it's just a workshop and people are just having an inordinate amount of fun, you can just make a suggestion. Well, you know, if you turn it around, if you do it like this, or we could just try one after the other. It's not quite so chaotic then, or even not chaotic, but it's just, you know, just we could listen to each group and what they've done and let's hear it and and just have a sort of focus on the listening if every, you know everyone's going all hell for leather but on the other hand if there's going to be a a showing of it of the work i am slightly careful to actually then i come out in the open i say look everybody you've done the most amazing job here you have created this song so you've been creators but now we have to become performers now we actually have to shape in a way that performers do. We have to think, how long do we actually need to leave that symbol for before that text comes in? How long can we do it and keep this, the suspense? Or, you know, are we going to just hurry over it? Or let's just practice so that we can find the most beautiful way. Or it might be that, you know, there are a couple of um, people who are doing something quite loud. Their mouth organ is the loudest, you know. And then you'll just, do, you know, just from your own experience, you say, oh, look, it's just like being in a choir. No one plays louder than the person next to them. Let's see how that sounds. Let's have three degrees of soft. Super, super soft, super soft and soft. And, you know, you can just, as we know, we've been trained as musicians. We know how to do this. We know how to help people sound better. So that initial moment where you go, oh, it's not just, that's that's just you you get over that in an instant and you think I can, I've got this I know how to help and people they're so grateful for that help and they say wow that is sounding better you know I feel like one of the things that's tricky for students who are starting to lead projects like this is to know mm. when the point is because a lot of times that that perfectionist thinking that we have kicks in very early and and kind of disturbs creative that's um, very true things that yeah. are blooming and <laughs> and then also there's sometimes fear towards the end of you you alluded to this but there's there's a little bit of fear of killing the joy yeah i mean i don't i i think you know explaining to everyone now you're performers so i'm going to be a little hard on you you know and then i train them and then i'm just really you know then i just come and say oh, this is a real rehearsal this is like a grown-up rehearsal we're going to rehearse now but therefore 
in the part where you're creating something, it's really hands off. I mean, if if a group is just sitting there and nothing's come, I'll either ask questions, you know, how do you feel about this? What would it sound like? What does it bring to mind when you think of this and this? And then you let the disc, or you just say, oh, I've just got to get a drink of water. You go out of the room and you come back and they're all, you know, things saying, oh, it was, I was the dampener there. Taking yourself out and, um, yeah, I mean, that creative part is just so important that people go through, you know, the ups and downs of not having ideas, then ha and then everyone talking at once, and then, you know, alighting, and because what happens is then suddenly everyone has too many ideas, and they haven't tried anything out, and they've already had an idea, and then gotten rid of it, and then another, and then you say, wait a minute, we've had 10 great ideas, and we have not tried one of them, come on. And then that's the moment where you where you can come in that you're training in as a musician, just that how to deal with the organization of sound can help. But it, you're not there to make the piece, it's everyone else, you know. That does sound to me like an extraordinary balance of the different hats you wear and, and like a very virtuosic moving between being this kind of silent facilitator and, um, and then uh, being an actual coach or conductor or um, organizer and always always being encouraging, always with a focus on creativity. Mm. Well, I think it's, you have to know thyself. So you've got to know what your tendency is. And I've been on training groups where they're just wonderful exercises, you know, to find out if you're standing in a group and someone says, well, organize yourself so that you're standing in a certain formation. There's always going to be one. Oh, well, look, you go over there, you go over there, I'm going to stand here. And you know, and you've got to know, are you that person? Or are you the person where you just sort of look around and go, and then someone tells you where to go and you go, okay, would have been better if I'd gone. We could have done it better, you know, but. And, and uh, you know, I'm the one who says, you go there, you go there, unless there's someone there who does that more than I do. And then I turn into the other one. So I'm very aware that, in, you know, in a, in a creative thing, after I've done all of the introduction, I'm very aware that I consciously take myself outside and just wait. That is a conscious move on my part, which I've trained myself to do. Otherwise, I'd be bloody, bloody, blah, you know. Yeah, which takes a lot of <laughs> self self awareness. Yeah. Well, and you have spoken several times um, in our conversation about being in touch with yourself and and knowing yourself. And if I could ask one more question along those lines, because I'm amazed at how how you do all of the things that you do, <laughs> uh, the the amount of output that you have and in so many different roles is astounding. And I'm wondering, have you have you also learned over the years how to protect your energy, to take care of yourself so that you're you're able to be these mm. different people yeah. in, in so many different situations? Yes. Um, I think it really helps knowing what you need to do for particular types of things. So if I'm really well organized and I see I've got something coming up in three weeks and I know what I have to do that, I make sure I do that early enough that it's just not 
my thing is to get things off my mind and have them done or you know just roll up your sleeves and get into it I didn't always use I wasn't always like that I was sort of procrastinating because I was sort of anxious about things and I think um, it's just the beauty of age and it gets better and better is that you just get you know less and less sort of I don't know, afraid to put your toe in or afraid to be wrong, you just get less afraid. And if something, you know, turns out to be not good, well, you know, you've done, you've really done your best and you, you've got to sort of forgive yourself then. So that I, I do like to, you know, have that plan. And, and having said that, you know, sometimes I go over the plan on something and I have to, you know, take time off something else and I just think... I can do this. And I think that's that's just the most greatest sentence you can say to yourself is you've got this. You can do this. You can do this. And be your own be your own support and cheerleader. Totally. You we're, can. All we've you got can. is yes. mm. so this thing of just getting up in the morning. I can. I can do it. I can do it. And I will do it. And I think just having that persistence and will to just keep on because it's for a reason because you've got a passion (laughs) Mm. right thank you so much for that that is super super such a pleasure to talk to everyone i do have one last question Mm -hmm. i can ask you as Mm. we are starting to come out of this global pandemic do you have any wishes for our world of music going forward I think what you're doing is is exactly it it just hits the nail on the head and that is you know looking for a way to give a really um, sort of universal type of musical education to to help musicians be musicians in the full sense of the word be those musicians that can improvise that can share that you know um have no fear of sharing that um are aware of what's in the world aware of how music links into all of that that's the greatest gift is to you know give and facilitate that sort of vehicle of learning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it is a gift it is a gift yes yeah and so inspiring to hear you talk about all mm-hmm. your work. Oh, look, thank you very much for having me and lovely to meet everybody. And I'm sorry I didn't really get to see you all, but I will maybe next time. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much Kathy. Kathy. Pleasure. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Out of Rich Darkness. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take the time to leave us a review so that more people can find us. You can help us grow our community of positive change by engaging with us. What's on your mind? Who should we talk to next? We'd love to hear from you on social media. 